Wow. Mm, praise God. What a great morning of worship. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to the throne. I'm so excited about God and what he's doing in our lives and so excited about his church. And this morning we're continuing a series. We started a brand new series last week and it's such a great series called The Road Less Traveled. And in this series we're talking about what it means to live as believers, to be on this journey with Christ. And and last week we looked at a, a poem by Robert Frost. Probably many of you know just the last of it says this. I, it just is so strong. It's so powerful. It says two roads diverge in a wood and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that's made all the difference. And you know, when you come to know Christ and you live your life for Christ, it, it just makes all the difference. You know, and so many times we try to have a foot in the world and we have a, try to have a foot with Christ, and it, it's hard, it's difficult, but when we surrender and just everything in us for the glory of God, everything in us for His name, man, it life makes sense and we come alive and there's a God who wants us to have hope there's a God who wants us to have peace there's a God who wants us to experience joy in this life and it comes on this road less traveled it comes on this road less traveled you know so many people are trying to decide we stand at a crossroads in our life do I go the way of the world do I try to identify with the things of this world is that where I find my identity who I am my self-worth or do I follow Christ when Jesus said come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I have a purpose for you. I have a purpose for your life. And when we accept that invitation, man, our lives are never, never the same. And so in our series, we're walking through a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this church in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul was on his second missionary journey. He comes down to Corinth. He leaves Athens and Corinth is in Greece. And while he's there, you know, he starts to meet people, and people are coming to know Jesus, and this church is started there, and it's a great church, a church filled with influential people, and it's an, an amazing city, and God's doing a great work. And he stays about 18 months, he heads over to Ephesus, and while he's in Ephesus, he starts to hear reports that, that there's some divisions in the church, and there's some things that are happening that, that aren't in line with Scripture, that aren't in line with the heartbeat of God. And so he, he writes this letter of 1 Corinthians back to them to, to kind of challenge them. It's like a loving father challenging you know, their, their son or their daughter, saying, hey, be sure that you're living for God. Be sure that you're on this road less traveled. You know? Come on. God has a plan and God has a purpose. Don't let the culture, don't let the world infiltrate you and the church. And it's a powerful letter to say to us today, stay on the road less traveled. Take the road less traveled. Because God has a plan and God has a purpose. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And then you got Acts and Romans. And then you come to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 3 and chapter 4 today. Uh, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online, follow along with what God's Word has to say today. And we unpack the scriptures this morning. Also, we'll put the words on the screen. And we're just going to walk verse by verse through chapter 3 and chapter 4. And it's so good. It's just deep. It's rich. And so I hope you're ready and hope you're excited for what God's going to teach us today. So let's look here at verse 1. He writes this. He says, Brothers, I could, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. And so Paul's writing to them, and he's, he's challenging them. He's saying, hey, you know, guys, come on, what, what are you doing? You should be growing up. You know, when you took this road less traveled, it was for you to mature in your faith, and, and yet you're, you're still infants, you know? You're still caught up in the things of the world. You're still living that way. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you're still not ready. You know, when you have a baby and... 
Many of you have babies. We have lots of babies here at Rolling Hills, you know. Uh, you know, the baby drinks milk, right? They're, and then they kind of graduate up into uh, that strained spinach and crazy baby food stuff that, you know, it's just, that's the stuff that they eat. But, but he's saying, you know what, when you're spiritual, you know, you're an infant, you take milk. But when you grow up, hey, there's better things. Aren't you glad that we grow up and we're not still eating that baby food? I mean, aren't you glad that we grow up and we discover things like steak? Yes, you know, I mean, chicken and fish and my favorite vegetable whenever I go to a restaurant, macaroni and cheese. I mean, you know, it's just, I love that that's always on the vegetable menu. I mean, I mean, you know, just all these great things of life, I mean, blueberry, cobbler. I mean, life is great. And he's saying, you guys are still stuck there, you know, with the infancy. You're still stuck there with milk. Don't you want some solid food? Don't you want to grow? Don't you want to mature? Don't you want to grow up? He's like, this is the time, this is the time. You see, what was happening there, right, is, is the culture of Corinth was slipping into the church. And what was the culture of Corinth? Do you remember from last week? Three things really defined the city. Number one, money. Number one, it was the defining characteristic. It was a very affluent city. It was on a seaport. It was also on a, a trade route by land. And so it had a lot of money, a lot of dollars. And, and people were kind of living for that. You know, the second thing that defined Corinth was this. It was worldly wisdom. The Greeks loved philosophy, they loved rhetoric, they loved talk, and they would stand in the street and just talk and debate back and forth, back and forth. And he's going, okay, you know, it's great to grow in your knowledge, but as God's word says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up, you know. Don't just stand around and talk, I mean, live it, do it, be it, for the glory of God. The third thing that defined the culture was pleasure. And they had lots of pagan temples there, the temple to Aphrodite, lots of temple prostitutes, sexual immorality, really defined the city. And it was creeping into the church. We're going to see that next week in chapter 5 and 6. And, and he's going, whoa, 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 you guys are different. You are different. You had a decision to make. And, and God drew you to himself and his sovereignty and his grace. He invited you on this journey with him on this road less traveled. You know, don't stay an infant. Don't try to go back and forth. Be passionate. Be committed. Grow and mature in your faith. He says, for since you are worldly, right? Verse 3. How does he know they're worldly? Well, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? He says, you know, I can see your life. You still have these divisions. You're still quarreling with one another. You're still bickering. Come on. You're better than that, you know? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Now, if you remember, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there was divisions in the church. Some people were saying, hey, we're followers of Paul. And other people, hey, we're followers of Apollos. And Apollos was a Christian missionary who had come through this area. He was a Jew from Alexandria who had given his life to Christ, an amazing communicator. Some people were kind of jumping into that camp. Other people were following Cephas, who was the apostle Peter. And he's going, no, 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 guys. We're all in Christ. We're all united in Christ. It is in Christ alone. That's where our identity is. He said, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. <laughs> right? Now, whenever you see seed in the New Testament, what it's talking about is the word of God. It's talking about the Word of God. So Paul says, when I came to you, I planted the Word of God. And I planted the Word of God in your heart. Right? The, the seed's being sown and the Word of God fell in your heart. And Paul says, I planted the Word of God. Apollos came along and he watered it. 
Right? He taught you deeper things in the spirit and deeper things in the truth. And, and he watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It was God who made it grow. You may remember a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. And, and, and a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And, and Jesus was teaching the people and he said, Hey, a farmer went out to sow his field. And he threw some of the seed and it fell on the hard path. And the birds came and ate it. Took it away. He said, Some seed... It fell on the rocky soil. And it sprang up quickly, but it didn't have deep roots. And so it died off. The other seed, it fell among the thorns. And it sprouted up and it was growing, but then it got choked out. But some seed, right? The word of God, right? Some seed, it fell on good soil. Fell on good soil. People's hearts and their lives. And it yielded a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. The word of God moved in people's lives and lives were changed and families were changed and communities were impacted for the glory of God. Now, what was the seed that, that was on the path? Well, Satan came and took it away. The seed that was on the, the rocks, it didn't go deeper and have strong roots. And so when things came along in their life, they were rocked instead of growing deeper in Christ. And the things that grew up and then were choked out, and Jesus said by the, they were choked out by the deceitfulness of wealth by the worries of this world. But the good seed that fell in the hearts and lives of the people. And Paul's saying, hey, I planted the seed. You know? And Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. It's God who receives the glory. It's God who needs to be worshipped. So, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. And what he's saying is this, you and I all have a purpose. You and I do. We are all have a purpose because when we come to know Christ, God places his Holy Spirit within us and he gives us spiritual gifts. And you and I have a calling and a responsibility to use our gifts to further the kingdom of God, to use our gifts to build up the body of Christ. Some of you, you have the gift of hospitality. I mean, you used to open your home, you know. <laughs> You're great at that. And either you have a small group that meets there or people come over. You have the gift of hospitality. Some of you have the gift of teaching. You're amazing teachers and you lead and you teach, you disciple. Some of you, you have the gift of prayer. And man, you're just a prayer warrior. Some of you, you have the gift of inviting people. You're just great. You invite people to church all the time. You just, you're so good at that. Some of you, you have the gift of music. You know, like many of our worship team. I mean, they're, they're just amazing gifted musicians. A lot of them are playing CMA all weekend and they're here leading us in worship. And it's just, they're using their gifts for the glory of God. But we do that together. Right? We do that together. And all of us, when we know our gifts and we use our gifts, what happens? The body of Christ is built up. So Paul says, I'm using my gift. Paulus is using his gift. But God's the one who gets the glory. Right? For we are God's fellow workers. And you are God's field. God's building. God's building the church. God's building his church. And God's building you. And God has a purpose in your life. So he says, hey, if you're going to lay a foundation, lay the foundation of Christ. It's all about Jesus. Come over here. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. And when Paul says, I came there and I taught you about Jesus. And you began this journey as God drew you to himself. And you said yes. And God laid a foundation in you. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. He keeps going, he says, but each of you should be careful on how he builds on that foundation, for no one can lay any foundation 
other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. What it means is this, is that you, you can't lose your salvation. Once the foundation's been laid in you, and this is such good news, right? There's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you begin that journey with him, once you're on that path, once you've accepted Christ, this is the sovereign grace of God in your life. And he is with you. But you have a responsibility then to grow in the faith. You have a responsibility then to build on the foundation that was laid in you. You have a responsibility to grow up. He says, if any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, now notice day, it's capitalized, because the day will bring it to light. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about that there will be a day that we will all stand before God and we're all going to have to give an account. There will be a day of judgment. And the Bible tells us that God will separate the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And he's saying this, that those who've accepted Christ, God has a plan and a purpose. That this life is not all that there is. And one day we will stand before God and he's going to ask us two questions. One, he's going to say, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? All of us have to give an account. All of us have to give an answer. And it's not just about being in church or it's not, well, my family grew up in church. Or it's what did I do with Jesus? As God drew me to himself, was there a time that I began this journey? Was there a time that I said, yes, that I'm a follower of Christ? But the second question he's going to ask is this. What did you do with what you were given? What did you build on the foundation of Christ in your life? How did you live? What difference did you make? And we're going to have to do that on that day. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now think about this, because this is taught in the book of Revelation and you know, throughout Scripture. That, so there's this day of judgment, right? And, and so one day, you know, he separates the, the sheep from the goats, and the sheep, he says, come into heaven. And then the Bible talks about a refiner's fire. That all that we've done will go through the fire. And what we've built on the foundation of our lives, it will either be come through the fire or it'll be consumed by the fire. So he talks about building on the foundation of our lives with gold, silver, costly stones. Those are good things that we do for the glory of God. Those are good things that we do here for the glory of God. That's talking to other people about Jesus, leading people to Christ. That's missions, it's serving, it's giving, it's being generous. It's building on this foundation for the glory of God. The wood, the hay, the straw are worthless things that we do that are going to get burned up. Now notice this, that we'll all go through the fire. We'll all go through the refiner's fire. But it said some will come through the fire like they're just escaping the flames. Right? I mean, everything in their life will be burned up because they live for the things of the world. The things of the world were their passion and their desire. Now they're still saved. They're still in heaven. Right? But there's no reward. But then there'll be people who come through the fire and there will be a reward given. The Bible teaches there'll be crowns. There'll be crowns in heaven. There'll be jewels. And, and here's what I believe is going to happen. We're not going to walk around and go, wow, check them out. They got lots of crowns. I didn't get that many crowns, you know. <laughs> what happened to me? And, and I'm jealous for them because they've got so many and I don't. You know what we're going to do when we come through that? We're going to take them all off. We're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. 
And we're just going to give the glory back to God. We're just going to say, wow, you know, I had 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth, but all of it for you. All of it for you. And there'll be a time of worship. Now, I want to have crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus. You know, I do. I want to live my life. I want to build on the foundation that God has placed in me. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who draws us to himself. It's God who redeems us and restores us. But there is a responsibility for you and me then to live our lives for the glory of God, for us to mature and to do things. What we do in this life matters. Man, this is good. He keeps going. He says this. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. He says, says, listen, don't ever forget this. You are valuable. You are important because the Holy Spirit is in you. You are God's temple. Let me, let me take you back. Remember when the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt and God met them at Mount Sinai? And they were a sinful people. And here you have a holy God and you have a sinful people. But God said, I want to be among my people. I love my people. Some of you have been reading through the Daily Step. We've been reading through the book of Leviticus. And so God said, build a tabernacle, a place for worship that will go into the center of the community. And whenever the community moves, you break the tabernacle down and you carry the tabernacle with you, you know. And you set it up in the camp. Now the tabernacle represented the spirit of God in this earth. In the tabernacle, there was a pillar of fire. There was a pillar of cloud that that sat over the tabernacle. There was the holy place that only the priest, the high priest, could go and offer a sacrifice, the sin of atonement, on one day a year. But that's where God dwelt. Holy God, sinful man. But the Spirit of God was among his people. Then what happens in the New Testament? Jesus comes, right? God sends his Son And when Jesus was baptized, if you think about this, the beginning of his earthly ministry, when Jesus was baptized, what happened when Jesus was baptized? A dove came down, right? Representing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filling Christ. So wherever Jesus went, the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus is healing people, redeeming people, restoring people. The Spirit of God is moving through Christ. Now it happens when Jesus ascends into heaven and he tells his disciples, one greater than I will come. In Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends in tongues of fire on the disciples. Why? Because the price has been paid. People have been forgiven. And now the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. Today is Pentecost Sunday. You know, seven weeks after Easter. 50 days after Easter, it's Pentecost It's a celebration. Many call it the birthday of the church. You know, it's so exciting because the Holy Spirit has come and fills you and me. And so we become God's temple. Now, a lot of times we don't think about it like that. You know, we think, well, I'm just a sinner. I mean, I just make mistakes. I just mess up. I blow it all the time. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. You are God's temple. Now, that ought to change your self-worth and your self-value right there, right? Because you are filled with the Spirit of God. And the same power that was available to Jesus, the same power that was available to the disciples who went around and healed people and restored people, is the same power available to you. And the same power available to you. The Holy Spirit working in you and through you. By God's grace, you can overcome. By God's grace, you can heal. By God's grace, you can redeem. By God's grace, you can restore. Because God will work through you. Now, it's God who receives the glory, but you are a temple of God. 
And our identity ought to be in who God says we are. But so many times our identity becomes in the things of the world instead of the things of God. And that's why Paul is challenging, challenging the church. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. He's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The people back then, they were saying, well, I have so much money, you know. That's the standard of the world, you know. I, I have, you know, so much wisdom and so much knowledge. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's determined by the world. You know, I have this, and I've done that, and I've been on this trip, and I've had this pleasure, and I've had this success. He goes, wait, 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 wait a minute. It's not the standards of the world that you should be judging yourself or finding your identity. It ought to be the things of Christ and what God has done for you and who God says you are, and God says you are redeemed, and God says you are forgiven, and God says you are loved. God says you are mine. And God says, I love you. And God is passionate about you. And God's passionate about his church. You know, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about men. (laughs) All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Isn't that awesome? We don't think about that. We don't think about who we are. We don't think that what God has done for us, if God saved us, and as he has, there's nothing that God's going to let go in our lives. God believes in you, and he wants the best for you. And that's why he says in chapter 4, may Jesus Christ be supreme May Jesus Christ be the love of your life, the joy of your heart. May Jesus Christ reign in you. He says, so then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now this word servants here in the Greek, it it was a word used for, you know those big ships, like giant ships, and underneath they had the the people who would row, you know what I'm talking about? That's the word that's used. So you think about it, he says, we're like servants. You know, we're down there, we're using all our strength and all our energy, but, but God's determining the direction. God's going, hey, this is where we're going, this is what I'm going to do. He says, we're just servants. He says in verse 2, now this is powerful, right? He says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who've been given a trust. The word trust here, in the Greek, it's the word used for Steward. Steward. Uh, the Romans, they loved to conquer people, and they were just good at it. They kind of dominated everybody at this time, and they would go out, and they would, they would defeat a nation, and they would take the brightest people. They would take the doctors, the lawyers, they would take anybody who was really smart, and they would bring them back, and they would put them in charge of their household or their businesses. And then the Romans, they just didn't want to do anything. They wanted to sit back, you know, and eat, drink, and be merry, and let everybody else kind of run the whole country. And it caught up with them, right? But, but they would bring back their wisest and the best, and they would put them in charge. And so this word is like a steward over a household. And a steward would be in charge of the money. The steward would be in charge of the slaves. The steward would run the household. But he was still a servant. But he was over all this. And, and what Paul is saying to you and to me, God has given us a steward. You, we are in charge. You know, God's blessed us financially. God's given us education. God's given us opportunities, God's given us family, God's given us friends, but it's 
by God's grace. And we should steward that for his name and for his glory. We don't ever go, you know, well, this is all mine. It's all mine. This is, I'm going to claim this. It's not for my glory. It's for his glory. I'm just a steward of all that's been entrusted to me. And I want to use it for the glory of God. So he keeps saying this. You know, if you have been given a, a trust, you must prove faithful. You must prove faithful. If you were to look at your life and you were just kind of evaluate today and you would think about all the things that God's given you, would you say, have I proved faithful? I mean, all the finances, all the opportunities, all the influence, all the relationships, have I proved faithful? Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. He's saying, whoa, 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 you still have an opportunity. I still have an opportunity to live my life for the glory of God, to build on this foundation in me. I still have that privilege and that opportunity. But I will be judged. All of us will face judgment, right? We all do. We face the judgment of others. And there's times that we just don't need to listen to people. But there are times that we need to listen to godly counsel. I mean, Paul is casting judgment on the church, saying, hey, guys, you've strayed. You're, you're off. We need people in our life. We need godly people in our life who will step up and say, whoa, you're making some decisions here. You're going down the wrong path. And we need to listen to them. We'll, we'll be judged by others. We'll also be judged by ourselves. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us. And there's times, I mean, let's be honest, there's times we know we're getting ready to make a decision and it's wrong, and the Holy Spirit convicts us. And we have a decision to make. Do I continue on in that decision, or do I say, okay, I'm going to listen to God, I'm going to listen to God. Because when you're a believer, when you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. The third one that will judge us is God. One day we will stand before God. And, he, and, and the great part is this, is that we will receive the praise from God. And one day, you know, as we live our lives for the glory of God, we're going to enter into his kingdom. And he's going to say, well done. Great job, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. I can't wait to hear those words, right? I can't wait that God is for you, that God wants you to succeed. God wants the best for you. He says, now, brothers, now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos. For your benefit, that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Paul says, hey, I've applied this to me. I'm accountable as well. I have to be a good steward of what's been entrusted to me. I have to build on that foundation as well. So then you will not take pride in one man against another. He's like, Paul, you know, Paulus and I were on the same team. You know, we're living for God. We want God to get the glory. For who, of you makes, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now, I've got to stop right there because St. Augustine, he said the whole summation of the doctrine of grace is found in this one question right here. He said, what do you have that you did not receive? He said that's the whole summation of grace. Think about that. What do you have that you did not receive? Life? Uh, we didn't make ourselves alive, right? Breath? Uh, health, 
I mean, there's some things we could do to eat right or exercise, but really health, ultimately, in the hands of God. I mean, opportunities, job, money, family, influence. Why were we born in America? Why do we even have the privilege of the opportunities that we have? The whole doctrine of grace is everything comes from God. It's all His. My whole life is a story of grace. My whole life should be about Christ because He holds the whole world in His hands and His sovereign control. Wow. And then Paul goes into this kind of, he t- launches into this almost kind of like a little um, tirade. I mean, it's kind of interesting here in verse 8. He, he gets really sarcastic. I don't know if many of you are sarcastic, but uh, Paul gets real sarcastic here. And uh, it's this scathing irony. It's almost like a, a parent who, you know, you get frustrated with your kids. You're like, well, fine, you know. Do whatever you want, right? You're smarter than I am. That's exactly what Paul does right here. I mean, look at this. He says to the church, he says, already you have what you want. Exclamation point. There's a lot of exclamation points here. He says, already you've become rich. You have become kings and that without us. How I wish that you really have become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ, right? He's saying, you, you know, you're trying to live for the world, you're trying to live for money and success and power, and we're telling you different, but, but you are so wise and, and right, we're the, we're the fools, right? You know? And he says, we are weak, but you are strong. You're honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. You know, Paul was a tent maker. He made tents to save up enough money to do missions, to tell people about Jesus, to do ministry, to help the poor. He was passionate about that. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Paul says, up to this moment. Up to this moment, people think we're crazy, but... But pretty soon, one day we're going to stand before God, and God's going to judge us. And as you look at the apostles, right? I mean, up to that moment, people were thinking, man, these guys are living for, for God. It doesn't really make sense. And now the apostles are revered. And here we are centuries later, and everybody's like, wow, the apostles, they got it right. They lived it right. You know? And as you look at your life, you know, where's your identity? Is it in the things of the world or is it in the things of Christ? Is it in who God says you are? Is it, are you living for his name and for his glory? And then Paul kind of reins it back in, verse 14. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, what does that mean? That means when Paul shared Christ with them, and God drew them to himself, and they responded and gave their lives to Christ, that, that Paul became their spiritual father. And Paul became their spirit. Many of us, we have, we have spiritual fathers, right? We have people who taught us the word of God, who poured into us. We ought to be thankful for that. And Paul's kind of stepping into this role. He's, he's challenging the church as a spiritual father. And as God is challenging us through the word today and speaking to us, he says, therefore I urge you to imitate me, For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, 
who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way in life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. He says, it's one thing to say you're following Jesus. It's another thing to do. It's another thing to live. It's another thing to be. You know? There's a lot of people who can talk the talk, but what we do matters. What we do matters. You see, you are known by your fruit. I'm known by my fruit. The fruit of my life. You can walk around and see an apple tree and go, that's an apple tree. Why? Because it has apples on it. You can see a cherry tree. That's a cherry tree. Why? There's cherries on it. People can look at your life and look at my life, and it's not about what we say, but they see the fruit in our life. And they say, wow, they're a follower of Christ. He says, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? Paul says, man, I care about you too much to just let you continue on that path. I care about you too much. I want you to know Christ. I want you to live your life for Christ. So if I ask you today, and I ask me today, where's my identity? Is my identity in the things of this world? Does my identity come in, in, in money? What's in my 401k or, you know, how much money you make? Or does your identity come in, in the things that the world would say? Do you judge yourself by, by how your kids are doing? Do you judge yourself by how well you're performing at your job? And none of those things are bad, but, but when that becomes our identity, see, we get caught up and we kind of drift away. When our identity is how many Facebook friends we have or how many Twitter followers we have or how many people like us on Instagram, you know what I mean? We kind of get drifted away. We get caught up in that. And those things aren't bad. But, but is our identity in Christ? Are we leveraging everything in our life for the glory of God? Are we saying, God, I want you to reign supreme in my family. I want you to reign supreme in my job. I want you to reign supreme in my influence. I want you to reign supreme in my, my social influence. God, I want you to be glorified in my life. I want my identity to be in you. And I know I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make mistakes, but Jesus, I'm pursuing you. I am on this road less traveled. And I want my life to count for the glory of God. Where are you today? Where are you today? I think Paul would say to us, and it's so easy for us just to kind of slip off and it's so easy for us to kind of slip away. And Paul and God is just drawing us back, drawing us back to the heart of a God who loves us who believes in us, who wants the best for us. It says, come, follow me. You know, this week, it's, it's been a great week, and there's been a lot of spiritual conversations that have been happening, and people praying and receiving Christ, and it's just awesome to see God moving. And God is here today. God is here today. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Will you trust him? Will you follow him? There's a God who's drawing you to his heart. Would you hold on to him with everything you have? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Now think about this today. Where is your identity? I mean, if everything in your life is stripped away, right? Stock market crashes. Housing market busts. Relationships 
get hard. As you look at the core of your being, where is your identity? Is it in Christ? Is there a joy, is there a depth in Christ? Are you growing? Are you maturing? What are you building on the foundation of your life? Are you building things that are going to last? Things that are eternal? There's a God who loves you. (laughs) There is a God who believes in you. There's a God who's drawing you to himself today. And there's a God who's saying, I'm for you. Trust me. The best is yet to be. As he wrote in 1 Corinthians, No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived. What God has prepared for those who love him. Trust him today. Thank him for the goodness in your life. Thank him for the blessings in your life. Thank you that everything you have comes from him. But trust him today as you go forward. Father, thank you. Thank you most of all for Jesus, for salvation, for grace. Thank you, God, and your sovereignty that you drew us to yourself. And you laid a foundation in us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That God, you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And so I pray, Father, for however many years we have on this earth, God, that we would build on that foundation. And that we would find our identity in Christ and we would live for you every day and every moment. And God, I thank you that you're a God of love. I thank you that you're a God of grace. I thank you that you're a God who believes in us, even when we don't believe in ourselves. And God, today, we just commit our lives to you anew and afresh, to say that you are our God and we are your servants. Use us, O God, for your name and for your glory. And we commit our lives to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Wow.